Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. My name is Hana Lee. I am president of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Ann Stendig, editor-in-chief at Hana Lee Communications and a food and beverage writer. As a journalist myself and Hannah as a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its impact on someone's career and business. That's why we launched our podcast to help our industry rebuild and rebound by interviewing top journalists who share their insights and tips for gaining the media's attention. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Dan Q. Dow, a freelance writer who covers food and drink, culture, and travel. Dan, who recently relocated from New York City to Texas, has held editorial and commercial editor roles at Time Out New York and Savour. He now contributes to Food and Wine, Vice, Condé Nast Traveler, Men's Health, Architectural Digest, and Texas Monthly, among others. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Hi, thank you for having me. It has been over a year since the pandemic started. So what new skills as a journalist have you had to acquire? I mean, it's been a crazy time for sure for everyone, both you know, behind the bar, writing about bars. It's just throughout the industry, it's been a really hectic time. And I think the biggest skill that a lot of us have learned is digital. Just all things digital. I think that things were already moving in the direction of everything being digital. But in this time, I think it just accelerated that push towards digital. So you see big players like Drizzly really taking off. But then you also see small players getting on e-commerce, you know, trying to take control of their means of distribution and their means of sales. And I know it's particularly tricky in liquor because of different regulations and laws, but I think a lot of people have gotten very savvy on digital, me included, um, as a journalist. And us too, you know, we had to learn fast and, and practice. You know, when you look at the bartenders, I mean, now they're doing so many online classes, and I think that's a really great skills that they had to learn, but they are leveraging the skills. Yeah, absolutely. So beyond amping your digital skills, you also relocated to Houston recently after living in New York City for many years. So what's it like freelancing for the Lone Star State? And have you been able to add more outlets to the roster of those outlets that you write for? Absolutely. Um, you know, after living in New York City for 10 years, it is a big, big change to come back to my hometown, Houston. But I think this is a time where you know, local journalism is important. I think people writing about the, you know, for the local magazines, for the local newspapers is important because all of the media companies are kind of merging. We have this these big shifts in the media industry, in the media landscape in New York City. And at the same time, with the move towards digital, things are more remote. You know, I can still participate in New York media without being in New York, but this opens for me to become a person that people want to reach out to when they want to learn more about Texas and what's going on in Texas. So I'm, I do have some new publications I'm working with, like Houstonia Magazine, like uh, Texas Monthly. And then I'm also, you know, working on a story right now for Daily Beast 
about a city in Texas. So um, I think I want people to see me as someone who can connect New York and Texas, as there are so many others, you know, who, who've done the same. But it's it's been really nice to kind of have an opportunity to shed some light on where I'm from, because I'm very proud of being from here. Definitely. So the great news is that the indoor dining capacities are increasing everywhere. Thank God. So with this in mind, what will you be focusing on uh, in terms of covering hospitality in coming months? Um, so right now, I'm interested in covering the reopening of bars, venues. As things kind of reopen, I want to be there to kind of help celebrate that moment and also inform people of how to best go back to going out safely. I think that's just a part of everyone's coverage. Even if it's not the main focus, you know, there's always a little bit of that information, those details. And that's just our responsibility as journalists, right? Because at the end of the day, even if we're writing about the hospitality industry and we're not news reporters per se, um, I think we can still bring that element of service and journalism to our audience. Um, at the same time, I'm also interested in continuing to cover what we can do at home. I think during the pandemic, I really shifted to service-oriented journalism, cocktails, recipes, how-tos, new bottles to try at home. So I still think that, you know, we had this moment of at-home bartending where people were more enthusiastic to try things at home. And I, I think that's something positive that could stay with us even when we are going back to bars again. It definitely helped uh, raise my home bartending game, and I have no intention of slowing down. No, please don't. I need your home bartending <laughs> skills. So let's shift for a moment beyond beyond local and take more of a, a global aspect. Uh, you wrote a piece in Condé Nast Traveler that explained why you were going to move to Vietnam, the country your parents fled decades ago. I mean, we found it such a moving personal story to share. But we were curious, what led to your decision to write about it? Sure. And you know what's funny about this piece is that it went live the month I was supposed to move. But because of COVID, um, I wasn't able to. And so now it's everything is shifted by a year. And my goal now is to be able to go over there um, August of 2021 instead of August 2020. Um, but what really made me decide to write about moving back to Vietnam is that, you know, it's something that I, it's, it's been in the works for so long, right? Like I think I realized I wanted to go to Vietnam when I saw how much things were changing there. I wanted to be part of the movement to bring Vietnam to the world in a sustainable way, in an ethical way. I wanted to cover the key players that were doing things with integrity. I wanted to show that we have a very, very strong culture to be proud of. And with how popular or how trendy Vietnamese cuisine is getting in America and worldwide, I wanted to go right back to the source. And as someone who speaks, reads, and writes Vietnamese, I just felt like I had a unique position to do so. Um, and that could contribute something of value to the travel industry. Vietnam is one of our favorite countries, and we've been there several times. So when you move, we'll come and see you. Yes, please. Please do. <laughs> Absolutely. And on a related note, uh, when it's safe to travel again, where's the first place you want to visit and why? Before Vietnam. 
Um, I think there are several places I want to go. One is Costa Rica because I just fell in love with it. That when I went, um, it's beautiful. It's just so peaceful because um, we go out to Tamarindo on the Pacific coast, which is known for surfing, which is kind of a beach town. So Costa Rica is number one. Santiago, Chile was one of the last trips I took before COVID. And I did a, a tour of all the winery, like a bunch of different wineries near Santiago. And I read about that for Condé Nast Traveler. And then the last place I would want to go is Madrid, Spain. It's just, it's my favorite city in Europe period. So what do you like most about travel? I love meeting people from outside of where I grew up or where I live. I just love the different perspectives. And I love being able to kind of realign my very American way of thinking with how other people see the world. Because I think sometimes in New York, especially, we get caught in a bubble um, and there's the New York lifestyle, there's the New York way of seeing things. Um, and I think it's just good to regain perspective um, when you leave New York. And that was always really important to me since, like I said, I, you know, living in New York for 10 years, travel was what helped me kind of stay grounded in the sense that there, there's not just one way to live, one way to think. So that's, I mean, travel, it really is kind of that deep for me, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think for me, when we leave New York City, you know, it's, there's so much excitement to go someplace else. But then when we come back, we come back with so much of inspiration. Right. So I think the travel is absolutely one of the greatest way to, you know, stimulate your curiosity and continue to learn about other cultures and get to know people. Absolutely. And I'd, I'd also add just, you know, opening your mind, opening your palate. Travel is is the best way to do that in the most efficient way. Right. So we'll we'll always be fans, and we know we know that you share a lot of of your travels on social media. But which which platforms do you find the most useful for researching and writing your stories? You know, from a practical standpoint. Yeah, um, I think Instagram is so important because of the kind of visual component, obviously, like to see what something looks like. I think a lot of times when I'm pitching editors about a specific property, um, I'll send them the Instagram account from that hotel and say, look how amazing this is, look how cute it is kind of thing. Um, I think Twitter for finding information. I'm, I, I use Twitter a lot because I love how kind of uh, unfiltered people's thoughts are about what... Um, you know, any any topic you can find information on because Twitter just allows you to be really candid about what you think. So I think those two, Twitter and Instagram, are my two kind of social media platforms that I use for all of my writing. Well, now another social media platform that we all are obsessed is Clubhouse. <laughs> so, I mean, as a marketer, um, we see tremendous value in being on it. What do you think of Clubhouse as a journalist? Yeah, um, I so I got on Clubhouse uh, in December, and I was on it a lot, kind of in that early phase when there weren't a ton of people on it, and I loved it. I loved how immediate the connections were. You don't; it's not like you're scrolling through someone's Instagram where you can see all their photos and kind of understand. I think the, the 
magic of Clubhouse is that you're thrown in a situation where the only way you can interact with people is actively by having conversation. There's no passive engagement on Clubhouse, whereas like on Instagram, you can passively be friends with someone on Instagram for many years and never speak to them, right? And on Clubhouse, you're on the phone with them right away. So there is an immediacy and kind of directness that I really appreciate about Clubhouse. Um, and I think as a marketer, as a journalist, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a great way to reach potential clients, potential story subjects, the people you want to interview. Um, yeah, I, I'm a fan. Us too. Us too. You can tell we are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So let's focus on journalism one-on-one for a moment for our listeners. So if you can explain the difference between a feature story versus a roundup story and a profile story versus a trend story. Okay, so I do all types of writing. Um, and I would say that the difference between a feature and a roundup is a feature tends to be written through all the way. Um, and a roundup will break things up into lists and items. So roundups are typically focused on products or its best hotels and its 10 different venues. So it's just a more digestible form of writing for a lot of people who are looking for information really fast. And so a lot of times roundups tend to be generated through SEO, right? Look at what, um, from a digital content planning perspective, right? We're looking at what keywords people are searching. Um, and, and then we're creating stories around that. And I think like people, you know, people look down on roundups or listicles as, as people call it. But, um, we're really providing a service, a very direct service to our audience by giving them the exact information that they're searching online. So I think that there's a service element to it. Um, features are narrative-based, are driven by a specific story. They have a beginning, a middle, and end. They have a nut graph, which is like the paragraph that distills the main point of, of the story. So it's more like the kind of essay that you would write in college, um, you know, for a writing class. And then the difference between profiles and trend pieces is profiles are centered around one person, uh, whereas trends are centered around a movement or something that's happening. Although I think those two, there can be a lot of overlap. Someone can be deserving of a profile or a profile can be newsworthy because of a trend, right? So, if, you know, if premium rum for example, is a trend that's happening, then a profile of a premium rum maker would be timely at that time. Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks so much for the explanation because we got a lot of questions from our audiences. I mean, obviously, as a PR pro, we know, but uh, those who are not familiar with uh, PR process, they were asking a lot of questions. Absolutely. All right. So obviously, you know, over the years, you've done, you know, a lot of features, roundup profiles and trend stories. You know, looking ahead in the coming months, how do you see that breaking out for you? Are you going to be doing more of one than another? I mean, I think that I, like a lot of writers during COVID, also realized that we needed to expand outside of our regular writing. So um, as you know, I've mentioned, I, I started an agency called District One. And so I've been doing a lot of brand strategy, copywriting, you know, advertising type writing. So 
what that has done for my journalism work is that on the journalism side, I'm going to be focusing more on in-depth features. I want to do more long form. I want to do more personal essays and more narrative-based writing because writing is still my passion. Journalism is still my passion. But I think a lot of writers like myself, you know, we've turned to a commercial writing to supplement our income during time because of just the instability of the media industry. And so for me, I'll be focusing on pieces that I really care about, that I'm really proud of, um, so I can keep my writing going while still working on my, you know, my brand strategy and the other things I'm involved in. You had a great story in Savoir on 31 bottles for the home bar. And so what is your process for selecting those special bottles to spotlight? So whenever we do bottle stories at Savor, um, this was always really fun because it takes me back to when I was an editor at Savor and we would be in the test and all of us, you know, sitting around sampling a bunch of different <laughs> liquor at, on, you know, on a Friday afternoon kind of thing. Um, but of course this year, things have been different, but it's still the same process. You know, I'll, I'll call in a bunch of different samples, sit around with some friends, we'll try them all, we'll make some notes. Um, and that's really how the bottles get chosen. And we, of course, we try to pick lots of different, uh, products from different categories. I always want to make sure that we're representing, um, a, a diversity of categories, a diversity of geography and a diversity of style and, and spirit. So. Yeah, I mean, again, you are doing um, special service to all the audience because I think, you know, having those roundup stories is helpful because we are having a lot of options to pick and choose. Yeah, it's, it's created uh, quite a few shopping lists for yeah, us. I know. <laughs> uh, in our hospitality industry, um, there has been a lot of innovation happening, as you've seen. So what trends do you predict will be big in 2021 and 2022? Um, I would think that the ready to drink segment of the market is only going to continue expanding and getting larger. And that includes non-alcoholic beverages a lot of times. Um, so those two I find to be somewhat inter interrelated. So we have a lot of ready to drink canned carton bottle style cocktails, um, and then we also have a lot of different non-alcoholic options. So those two, I think, are the biggest category trends. Um, and then on the hospitality and restaurant side, I'm hoping that to-go cocktails can remain something um, as, an, as a kind of alternate revenue stream for these brick-and-mortar establishments. Um, but to go off of that even more, I think I've seen a lot of brick and mortar establishments creating an online presence, you know, like uh, for example, like Fort Defiance and Red Hook opening uh, their general store, for example, and, and kind of promoting that online while having a, a, a retail component for people to come and buy specialty goods um, and whatnot. So a couple, couple of different things there. So do you have any tips for our listeners who are in the hospitality industry on how to get your attention and possibly be featured in one of your stories? Do you have any top do's and don'ts for pitching you? I think there's there's no one right way to get the attention of a journalist or like myself. And I think 
a lot of it is sometimes timing and luck as well because we receive such a high volume of emails it's never our intention to not answer someone or you know disregard any specific pitch it's more like we're so pressed for time and we're trying to sift through this massive inbox and get to the things that make sense for us so making our job easier um by being clear about what the subject matter is and also a little bit of persistence. Honestly, it's not going to be, it probably won't be the first time, you know, it'll be pitching over and over again and kind of going for it. I think um, I tend to, when I see the same name come up over and over again, I will think, oh, well, maybe I should check it out. Also being in community with writers, I think is important. Um, and I think a lot of people have recognized that I've tried to bring a kind of representation element to my writing and kind of inclusivity element to my writing and so people who are aligned with me on that level kind of get an automatic access to me because i already know that our values are aligned and so i'm predisposed to want to hear what they have to say we call our podcast hospitality forward because we know our industry will bounce back stronger than ever so can you tell us if there's anyone or any organization that is doing something really special and you think is moving hospitality forward? Um, can I say Hannah Lee PR? <laughs> yes, Hannah please. Lee. Thank you very much. I would, say, I would honestly <laughs> say, and, and not, not to kind of suck up to you, but I think that Hannah Lee Communications has been such a strong community building organization from everything you do from the clubhouse talks to this podcast as kind of a service to the to the industry i think is incredible thank you um, another person that i think is moving hospitality forward is ashton berry and i know she's taking a break right now from radical exchange but that organization is so phenomenal and what she's doing in terms of educating people in a very grassroots way in a kind of getting people to re-examine their own relationship, their own personal relationship with hospitality is something very admirable. Yeah. She was um, um, acknowledged by the World 50 Best Bars as uh, one of the most personality who made a huge uh, contribution to our community. So yes, uh, we 100% agree. All right. And now for the listener question segment of our show, uh, we have a question from Sheila Darcy Hins of Clifton Dry, a new sparkling wine. And Sheila would like to know the protocols for sending product samples to journalists like you. And in addition, what are the protocols for following up once samples are sent? So I don't think that's necessarily changed during COVID. The best way is to say, you know, sample for you and kind of ask for a journalist's address. Once you have their address and you're sending them a product, you can reasonably expect that um, they might, they'll answer you after they've received it and after they've tried it, or you might see it pop up in a story. So you'd have to keep your eyes peeled. When it comes to follow-up, how many times is it okay to follow up on samples? Um, I won't answer for any other journalists, but I will say like <laughs> two or three times is pretty good. And if you don't hear back, there might be a good reason for it. Okay. Great. So before we go, What's the best way for our listeners to contact you to pitch their stories? 
as much as I hate email, email is still the best way to get in touch. And my email is dan at danqdow.com. And all of my social media from Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram, it's all the same. Um, it's danqdow, so D-A-N-Q-D-A-O. Great. Perfect. Dan, it's been so great speaking with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. 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 Dan knows best. It's always so inspiring to chat with Dan. Now that you know what Dan is looking for, please feel free to pitch him your story ideas. And of course, mention that you heard him on our podcast. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline as well. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.